Coaches, thanks again for joining another episode of the Minnesota Basketball Coaching Podcast. Uh, we're switching gears from um, you know high school coaches to uh, the AAU circuit today. We're bringing in Al Harris from D1 Minnesota. Coach, thanks for joining today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, you have obviously are involved with a really, really successful uh, program. And so I think you have a lot to share. I think there's a lot of stuff coaches can learn from you. So I'm really excited to have you. Uh, the first thing we always ask is your coaching Wikipedia page. And so uh, tell us where you're from, where you played, uh, and then what led you to uh, D1 Minnesota, where you're at today. Yeah. Uh, so I'm Al Harris. I am originally from down south of Mississippi. Uh, originated myself in Minnesota uh, with some family kind of back and forth in my transitions of history. However, uh, I've landed and uh, played my basketball short career uh, in high school at St. Paul Central. Had a lot of success uh, through the years of 94 through 98 and I graduated in 98. Um, I then went on to pursue sports and football um, actually. Uh, and that was a short stint in college. And then I just continued to just academically uh, pursue my education at that time, more than sports, just through d different variables. Uh, kind of what led me into sports was, um, you know, I loved the game and competing. However, the most important piece to me back then was is that how important for me as a young kid from the southern region of the country uh, how sports was more of a vehicle for me for many other different avenues to uh, escape uh, negative outcomes and circumstances, environments, communities, and so forth. And um, I just was really intrigued about how sports uh, took me in so many different avenues and directions. And I had the experiences of playing AAU basketball when I was uh, in high school. It was a great experience. My coach back then was uh, a young man by the name of Tark Tomes, which I'm sure a lot of people in Minnesota basketball community know about that uh, young man. And uh, he inspired me, taught me a lot of different things, just as uh, a lot of other coaches have had the opportunity uh, to, to help me along the way as well. I then just went back to my alma mater, uh, volunteered there, and then I took it upon myself to start into some of the youth programs uh, in the AAU world, um, as well as continuing to coach in high school basketball with guys like uh, Mark Klingsborn, Reggie Perkins. Uh, and then my last stop of high school basketball was with Vern Simmons at St. Paul Johnson. Uh, during those times of just going through high school basketball and different things like that and learning and, and uh, instilling my uh, information that I had with me at that time as I continued to learn from different people and different sources and coaches, uh, I continued to coach AAU basketball. My AAU basketball career uh, kind of was founded and started uh, at 43 Hoops Basketball Club. And it actually started not actually as a coach. It started as a player development guy. Um, so we kind of did hand in hand, both different types of scenarios. I would say back then I was very, uh, I was very probably naive in the coaching world. I was learning a lot from guys like Chris Carr, uh, that now coaches as assistant coach at Kansas State girls, women's basketball, uh, a guy by the name of Thomas Chapman, uh, which I actually have the fortunate to coach his son currently at this time. So it's funny how the circle comes, comes around like that. Um, and a guy by the name of Ben Clawson. Those guys were 
uh, and I coached alongside a guy named uh, uh, Gamali Ahalegbe. Um, and so those guys, as our team developed, I learned a lot. And a lot of my information that I learned uh, through player development came from Chris Carr, um, taught me a lot of things about player development strategically, um, how to engage the athlete uh, mentally and physically through skill development. Um, and then that continued as I continued my competitive nature of coaching. Uh, he taught me things about film and um, I just was a very, very much a young sponge at that time. Um, and as I got more success in engaging in other players and, and talents that I had the, the opportunity to uh, coach with and uh, uh, players that I were able to coach, I continued to uh, my career onto uh, a program called Net Game Sports, which at that time was founded and owned by a guy, Marquise Watts, uh, that uh, definitely uh, helped me with coaching. Um, but also, for the most part, what he really taught me was the business world of college basketball. Uh, the relationship piece, the political side of it, the background. Uh, he very much taught me about, uh, if you could use as an example, the eyes behind the curtain um, uh, in college basketball and what it was like and the business side of it, different things like that. I was there, had some more success there uh, in our state of Minnesota, and then I went on to uh, engage myself in a program that I'm currently in, uh, uh, D1 Minnesota, which, um, you know, I have nothing but great things to say about this program, the director and the directors uh, that be with Jeremy Miller and Tom Prochelle, and uh, those of the past of Richard Hurd as well. Uh, they welcomed me in. Um, I brought in my philosophies, my skill, my developments, um, along with my relationships. And it's been, uh, it's been a crazy run. It's been a lot of success, a lot of fun. Um, and I continue to learn within this program and share the things that I have and uh, information that I have as well with them as well. You mentioned that you work for some absolute legends in the high school world and uh, Klinger, uh, Reggie, and then Vern uh, at St. Paul Johnson. What are some things you learned from those guys? I couldn't think of three more respected or highly thought it sought after coaches uh, than those guys. And so just a great opportunity. I'm sure as a young coach getting into it to learn from them, what were some of the big things you learned from those guys coaching uh, when it in your stops at the high school ranks? You know, I, I think that uh, some of the things that I learned, I mean, I would say that uh, I never had the pleasure to coach with Reggie Perkins, but he was always a mentor for me throughout my coaching um, throughout high school basketball, because he was somebody that was a friend of mine personally uh, that I would always be able to bounce things off of and ask questions about. And he was just kind of, uh, for me, not only a mentor, but he was uh, a humbling piece of information that I could always uh, go to to provide myself balance, to bring myself back down or into and inspire myself or to validate some of the thoughts and um, maybe ideas that I may have had. Um, as far as like Vern Simmons, <laughs> that was my last stop of high school basketball. Vern Simmons taught me about um, everything that there is to be about community um, in, in high school basketball. He is the, he is to me the model of what community basketball is not only a person that lived in the community, he worked in the community. He 
was a part of an institution that was within the community. And then he not only coached in the community, he volunteered his efforts throughout the community. He understood the community. He understood families from the community, the background, the cultural diversity within the community, the social injustice of the community. He was, uh, <laughs> my goodness, he was a remarkable man uh, in my life uh, because we came from some similar backgrounds as well in the professional world, but also um, he just taught me a lot of things about the uh, disclosed pieces that a lot of people don't see in high school basketball about like being a, a father figure and feeding kids that were under underserved and um, um, just being acceptable and understanding of circumstances uh, throughout the daily lives of those that may not have or have the challenges that we may not always talk about in our society. Um, and I thought that he was really good about that. And he was good about bringing those community kids together to believe in something that was much bigger than the circumstances that they may be challenged with when they went home. And uh, it was just unbelievable. Um, and I learned a lot about basketball from him. I learned to respect that what we see on the outside is not always what's on the inside. Um, just because we don't have an understanding of what we see in basketball doesn't mean that that's not uh, fundamental. You know what I mean? So like sometimes you will watch city basketball and people would think that like it's uh, not structured. However, in Vern's philosophy and those that coach with him like Colin Moore, they would, and Anthony Williams, guys like that that I coached alongside of, uh, we would call it like organized chaos. You, you can't, if you can't play that style of basketball, you don't have no way to understand that style of basketball. However, we practiced it and played it every single day. So we had become uh, somewhat of a tactician at that style of basketball because we played it every day, which was a strategic manner that uh, many couldn't uh, emulate. You can't even perform it or prepare for it because you're not used to it. Um, and I thought that that was uh, very savvy of him. Um, to understand his athletes and be able to, and what they, the style of play that they would play and uh, to instill that and orchestrate that within his practices, his games, their lifestyle and everything that they did was pretty remarkable. Uh, Mark Klingsborn uh, was my, I would say officially my first stop of high school basketball as I, I was educated. Um, he taught me a lot about development, uh, community, uh, the structure of basketball, not only in the game, but even before and after the game. Um, he, he gave me the foundation for like scouting report, uh, the nuances of the seriousness of film. Um, and then also like what, what was to happen uh, after basketball, like after a game, after, uh, a practice um, and what 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 steps that you need to take to prepare for the next day um, preparation um, all, all those things that he taught me about that and I what what I what I value the most about Mark Klingsborn uh, everybody doesn't like him however I will say that he is one of the most <laughs> wow detailed individuals I've ever met in my life when it comes to basketball and his professionalism Really good stuff. Uh, you've had, obviously, uh, 
great training with those guys. Just actually just absolute legends in the, in Minnesota high school basketball. Uh, and I'm sure it's just led to a lot of the success that you've had as a coach. So I want to get into what your strengths are first as a coach. And we'll get in later. The second part of this, we'll get into some more AAU specific stuff, but I want to talk to you first as Al Harris, the coach, not as much, uh, Al Harris, who might have a lot of division one coaches on, uh, on his phone and his phone contacts and the whole recruitment process. So let's first start with what are your strengths as a basketball coach? Well, I think that some of the strengths that I have is that, like I said, I started my career in basketball within player development. I really believe in skill development. Um, I really believe in that it's the foundation uh, for consistent success uh, on your team or within your program. Um, I just really believe in that is the wholehearted foundation of basketball, whether it be from youth all the way up through professional sports. Um, it's just a very huge, very important component. Um, and so I really, really um, require myself to stay consistent with my development so that I'm able to instill in my, the athletes that I coach or that I train that player development is important. Um, and then I just try to find new ways uh, to engage myself to learn new things about the evolution of player development and skill development within itself. Um, I would say, you know, I'm very good at um, relationships. I've learned over my life and all the experiences that I've had, whether it be athletically, professionally, or just uh, spiritually, um, that uh, relationships are important it's 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 how you start to bring together people uh a group or a team or uh your employment your you know whatever whoever you work with or in life in general you have to have some type of relationship um and and the importance of that relationship uh is sometimes forgotten or taken for granted um, and sometimes, and it's also sometimes the, the area where division manifests because you don't have a strong relationship uh, within the people that you're working with. Um, and so I say that I'm pretty good at uh, building those relationships, engaging in relationships, uh, the philosophy behind, behind relationships with my players. Um, and I think that the next piece, um, I, I think that I'm very detail-oriented. Um, you know, I'm open with the fact that I don't know everything <laughs> that I'm willing to learn from other people um, and to pick up new styles and different strategies and different types of way of teaching. Um, uh, I feel that I'm a teacher um, in sports, that, I, that, that that's a part of my makeup that I like and enjoy to teach and to nurture uh, the student athlete. Um, and I think the last skill that I would say um, that, that by nature, um, I think it's a skill to be competitive. Um, it's something that you learn. It's not something that you, some people have it, right? But I do believe that you can teach it, um, that you can teach people to compete. Some people say that that's not something that's instilled in people. I believe that, that that's true, that some people come with some type of gifts but I do believe you can teach someone to compete. Um, it, it, it's hard, you have to start from a very small level, but I think that that's about everything. I think that when you, you taught somebody, everybody has the ability to learn to write. 
but some people write very well and some people write not so well. So you have to teach them. You have to nurture at their level of learning. Um, and I think that you can teach competitive nature. Um, and I think that um, I have a very high level of competitiveness uh, with me, within me. I love that idea about teaching competitiveness as a skill. I think so often we just assume, oh, that kid's not tough or they don't play hard. We can teach kids to be competitive. And I think that's really, really uh, great that you brought that up. Because I think sometimes that's a skill that gets overlooked. And especially when you got two kids, all things are even from a skill perspective. Whoever's hungrier, whoever's more competitive is going to be the one who comes out successfully. So I, I really appreciate you bringing that up. I think that's a, definitely a skill that gets over, or overlooked and undertaught. I do want to build off of the relationship piece that you mentioned. You coach a lot of really, really good high-level, scholarship-level basketball players. How do you develop strong relationships with them? And then how are you able to use those relationships to hold them accountable? You know that's a that's a very uh, that's a very interesting question um, and how to engage your uh, athletes. Um, I think that it comes to um, how, like you know getting them to buy in. Um, and when and when I talk about buying in, you know I talk about when I meet my athletes for the first time or they become on a team that I'm in. One of the first few practices that we have, or I send them home with. <laughs> Uh, uh, some homework and what the one of the assignments that I usually send them home with in the first couple of practices is, is that they are to return with goals that they want for for themselves and their team on the season and for future seasons okay and so like I, I think that you know when they take those things home with them and then they present them back to them, I take my time and look over each individual player's wants and needs. And then that's how you figure out how to engage them on their buy-in. You know, you gotta, I think that another, like you, everybody has different wants and needs. And once you find out what they are, you try to uh, mold them into some type of clay piece so that everybody receives a piece of what they envision as success. You know what I mean? It's because at the end of it all, that's what we're trying to achieve is some type of positive reward. And we, it's, it's my job as a coach to engage everybody's individual appetite, but more than the truth of the matter is, is that we all have to sit at the table and eat. Like we, we can't, we just can't go to different tables and have different, different, but, but that doesn't mean that when we sit at the table and eat together, that everybody's eating the same meal either because everybody doesn't like the same food. So like once we figure out what goals individually we have and what goals that they have for the team, you'll find that majority of the players on your team have the same team goals. They have the same situations. The only individual goals and most of them have the same individual goals as well they just don't know where those goals will re result in or where will they end or or how to get there and who will help them get there and, and maybe what steps to take to get there and so along that you just have to engage them and get them to trust or find trust in you uh that that your path that you'll take them on with the rest of the individuals around them um, 
we will, you know, try to feed your appetite as well. You know, we'll feed you, but we all will sit at the table though. Everybody will eat at the table. However, we might be eating different meals, but it's important that we understand everybody's individual goal. Love that analogy of eating at the table. That's great. Uh, I think that is, you know, people are going to have different meals, but you're still sitting there as a group. You're still sitting there as a family and you have those same common goals in mind. I think that's a really great analogy that coaches can definitely uh, use in there with their own teams because it, it makes a ton of sense. I want to move into the, uh, the skill development piece that you mentioned as well. Um, clearly, you're great at forming relationships with your guys and you have a, a great philosophy on that. I want to talk about skill development and this can either be uh, maybe how you approach skill development within a practice or just talk about uh, in general, what a practice looks like for your squads. Yeah, for sure. You know, practices for my teams and skill development is a major component of our practices. Um, I will say every practice that I've had probably for over a decade, uh, I've always had a practice schedule. I've, I've always prepared how the, the uh the the formula of what we're going to try to present to the team today whether it be defense or offense whether it be uh whatever the case may be however at the start of every practice every single practice that i've had for the last 10 to 15 years starts with skill development it starts with individual skill development team development uh footwork uh, shooting, uh, attacking the rim, different nuances that we have to learn, whether it be ball screen opportunities or proper footwork or proper shot prep form, um, shot pocket, different types of things that I've, that I've done over the course of years. And that, you know, in an AAU practice, you might get about an hour and a half uh, per practice. And I'm pretty, I'm almost positive, almost any player that has ever played for me, they would tell you that about 30 to 40 minutes of every practice is skill development, every single one. They don't get no days off from skill development. And so like we start those practices that way. And the only way to keep those structured is that the reason why I schedule the practices and formulate them to a T before the practice starts is so that we don't have any wasted sweat. So I don't have any players on my team that are just standing around, uh, looking around, not knowing what's next. Um, and then we just, they, they just know, you know, even when they walk in the gym that let's say that they come it's required of them to, you know, I'll always tell my players that if we start practice at 7.30, if you're there at 7.15, you're late because they should be there on the floor at 7, 15, 15 minutes early, and they should actually be working on things that are a part of their game before we even start practice. Because sometimes in practice, we don't have the opportunity to, to exhaust or to assist you with all the individual needs you have to prepare you for a game or to prepare you even for practice. So you should take that 15, 20 minutes if you come early to prepare yourself for practice. You might be able to get up 50 to 75 shots in 15 to 20 minutes. That will help you uh, start your sweat, start your day, get up some opportunities that you may not be able to get up uh, with your team when you're in practice. Uh, and so, um, yeah, the development piece is a, is a must. It's every day, all the time, no matter what. How do you teach shooting? Uh, shooting, I, I start from 
the very minimum. I think that, you know, a lot of people say that it takes so many shots or so many uh, reps to create habit or to, to, to keep control uh, muscle memory and different things like that. I teach shooting. Um, I think that it's very important to teach um, shot prep form and the, 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 the closure of your shot, like the holding your follow through and different things like that. And I started from like inside of the paint, um, just catching the ball is a huge component in shooting that sometimes people just overlook. Just actually receiving the ball in your hands is very important. Um, um, and shooting within the, the parameters of your, your, the width of your shoulders, you know, different things like that. So I start very, very like elementary um, at shooting around the basket uh, when given the opportunity. Sometimes that's hard in practice, um, but in skill development sessions where I have the ability to train as uh, an athlete, um, I'll start at that area. What are some of your best uh, drills that a high school coach or an AAU coach or a youth coach listen to this? Think big, all right, Al, I need one drill that I can put in my practice tomorrow. What's one drill that you could share? <laughs> you know what? Um, I would say one drill, one drill. <sighs> you know, I would say, the, the you know, I, I'll give you two drills. Uh, I love the drill. Uh, it's a, it's a full core shooting drill that, in, that involves the three man weave and shooting at the end of the three man weave. Um, but I make it a competitive drill. So it's basically a five minute drill where your team is, is to, to get over 120 makes within five minutes. Now the competitive part about it is, is that you do include all layups made as well as jump shots made, you also, you challenge your team to be successful, to shoot shots where they can be successful. Like sometimes when you do the three-man weave and I do this full-court shooting drill and I start out, I let them shoot the basketball wherever they want for two minutes and then we start the drill over, but they don't know that it's going to happen. And you got guys shooting three-pointers and all this different type of stuff and you're, you're shooting shots where you can't be successful or you're not being successful at that moment. So I challenge them to react in basketball, even in the drill, to shoot shots to be successful because they can hear the number of makes that we've had in the time frame that has went past. So you know what type of shots you should be taking if you're trying to make shots or you're successful from the three or mid-range. But at the same time, you're also challenging yourself to develop because we are in practice. The other thing is you can use that drill to not only challenge them uh, to shoot shots to be successful, but also uh, challenge them with time. Like how long does it take you to make a pass? How much are you sprinting? How much, what type of effort are you giving? Um, are you attacking the rim uh, like at game speed? Are you just going through the motions of a drill? So that's the timing piece. And then, so at the end, we gauge um, what our goal was, what we met. So let's say the first time we ever did it, in five minutes, we made, you know, 90 shots. And then we just continue, we remember that. And as we go through practice, we continue to do it for one month straight. And we try to beat our goal over and over and over, not only makes, 
then we start challenging ourselves with time. So once we get that 120 makes in five minutes, we try to see if we can get 120 makes in four minutes and 30 seconds. So now you not only become an if, uh, a successful shooter, but you also become an efficient shooter. Like we only got so much time. We have to make shots when we have opportunities and different things like that as well. Uh, the other thing that I would say that I love to do in practice that I think that youth sports can bring to practice is do a lot of one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three drills with limitations or restrictions within the drill, like one dribble max, two dribble max. Um, tell the defense that they can only shoot the basketball. So now everybody knows that this is just only a shooting drill with a two dribble max and it's two-on-two basketball. So now the defender has an advantage, but now the offensive player has to work harder to figure out ways to create space or to use their teammate to allow for space so that they can get that jump shot off. Um, and so uh, those, it's very, I think that teaching youth and adolescence from the very young age all the way to the collegiate age of how to react in game situations is the most best teaching that you could ever give somebody. It's better than cones, as, a, as somebody has told me many times over, uh, cones don't move, people do. I think you hit on a huge piece of, uh, you know, the skill development philosophy and modern coaching. I think a lot of coaches hear skill development. They think, all right, dribbling, drill, stationary ball handling, or dribble around a cone, shoot a layup, or, but it's so much more than that. Like you said, the one-on-one, the two-on-two. And the key with that is the adding the limitations. I think that's part of where that really, that higher, higher level thinking and application of skills is seen in practices. I think that's great. Um, you know, that you guys do it that way. I know that's, that's stuff I really like. And, the limitations piece is huge. Um, I'm an offensive guy. Our team, you know, our Princeton team here scored, you know, 85 points a game last year. So we, we like offense around here. So I'm going to start with that with your philosophy. Uh, I've always been intrigued by some of the higher level, the shoe circuit AAU programs at how they go about getting kids to buy in that their shots are going to be significantly less and even their playing time, but let's just stick to shots are going to be significantly less. Their touches are going to be less than they see with their high school program. So two part with this one, what's your offensive philosophy with your squad? And then second, how do you have those conversations with your guys to understand that their role is going to be vastly different than it is with their high school teams? Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is, is just my philosophy offensively, uh, my philosophy offensively, um, the principles again, just as in defense, they never change. However, the strategies and the plays or the offensive mind or the sets that we run change based on the personnel that you have. Sometimes, you know, just like in high school sports, you don't always get the exact personnel that you would like to use in the offense that you run in the previous season. So sometimes you just have to change it according to the strengths and weaknesses of your team. However, the principles on my team is that I allow all individuals on the floor to have freedom, to have freedom to believe that they are as much of an asset to our offense as anyone else is on our team. And so when they feel like their spacing and the offensive opportunities that they have in front of them uh, are validated or confirmed and they don't have any worries of 
you know, what their coach may say or whatever, um, they, they just, to me, they perform better. Uh, when you have an offensive player that's not looking over their shoulder, worried about – because they already know the expectations. They know what offense that we're trying to get. They know what type of shot that we're trying to get in this type of time frame. Um, and I just – I literally tell my teams, you know, like just like the team I'm coaching this year, is that I've never really seen a bad shot on the offensive end. I've seen selfish ones. I've seen rush ones, unbalanced shots. Um but as long as the offensive player acknowledges uh, the circumstances that are in front of them, that, that, they, that they missed a mistake or made a mistake, then we're fine. We're fine. There, there's, no, there's no worries. There's no reason for me to be yelling or to be upset or any of that situation because now it just be, it manifests fear into your players. Um, and even those that – and everyone on your team offensively knows <laughs> the guys that are going to take that shot or that, that – that. and I also empower them to understand who the hot person is or who has the advantage on the floor. And that changes throughout the game. That's not always the same person. But I empower them to understand themselves that I don't have to tell that. So that's a humbling situation for them as teammates to say, hey, look, that guy is the hot guy. Our offense shall run through them. Doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be the scorer, but they're going to be the one that orchestrates opportunity, not only for themselves, but also myself. Um, and so, you know, that, that, uh, that, that's just really, I stick by that all the time that, you know, just allow your team to have freedoms and to feel like they have the same opportunity at every individual that's on the offensive end. Um, as far as shot selection, you know, I literally tell my teammates or my team and my players and the teammates that are amongst each other that, you know, when you're playing on this, 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 uh, I don't know, all-star type team or whatever that we've recruited or whatever the case may be, where you're amongst all of these talented athletes, your job and your responsibility is much larger than your shot selections, your opportunities to shoot. There's so many other things that you can do on the offensive end to help us to be successful than the one shot that you've taken. I also inspire them to understand that efficiency is better than opportunity. If like if I'm efficient with the opportunities that I have, there's no concern about like I need more shots, I need more shots, I need more shots. There, there, there's both are successful. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm not I'm not against somebody that when you're on your high school team you get to be a volume player, and then when you come to our team in AAU basketball or into club sports that you your 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 opportunities are more limited, but I think that you have a lot more opportunity um, sometimes with a team that's a lot more talented because the opportunities are easier now. You got people that are moving around. You got all the necessary pieces or personnel that you need to be successful. Um, how do you fit in? How do you find your reward within that team? Is it just by you scoring two points? Or is it because I made an assist or I was the one that was a part of that back screen? or I made the extra pass, or I was a part of 
the start of the other, I occupy the defense, or I was the backside rebound. You know, there's so many different other opportunities. You know what? Sometimes I instill in my players, and you can see it on my team, that dudes are satisfied with the other person's success. So, like, they, 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 they value that, like, when somebody makes a shot, that they're excited. That, that, was, their, that was their helpful piece on offense, that, that you were just as excited as they were in their success of making a basket so that when your time comes around, you're ready, you're available, you're, you're, you're receptive. Um, and, and it doesn't it, – everything that you do in a basketball game offensively or whatever is not seen by college coaches or others that are watching by just by how many points you put on a basket. But definitely you need people that can score. That was going to be uh, my, my follow-up comment, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we'll be on the same page here. I feel like with the guys that you're coaching with your, with your AAU teams, the guys who are getting looked at by Division I programs, I feel like that's the separator for a lot of those kids and those coaches if they're on the fence, if they're willing to offer, is that is this kid seem like he's bought into a role or is he going to be pissed when he's not getting his shots? Do you agree or do you, uh, or do you want to expand on that? You know, I definitely agree with that. I think I agree with that. But I also, I, I, however, I would also say that I think that when college coaches watch and sometimes the, the misconception is, is that people believe that college coaches are just watching or some of these athletes believe that they're just watching how well you can score. I don't even really think, you know, in my conversations with coaches, they don't even know how many points you've scored. They, 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 don't, they don't even care. There's some coaches that you see go over there and some people think that they're looking in the book to see how many points you've had. Sometimes, especially with the technology that we have right now, I think that they're more impressed by a guy that went, got 12 points on a team full of studs that was two of five with 12 points than somebody that was six of 22. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it and and at the end of the day, I think that, remember, when you're an AAU guy or a high school guy or whatever, these athletes, if you're fortunate enough to go to play college basketball at any level, you're going to be playing with other athletes that were just as good as you were. So when you formulate this team, you're going to have to find other ways to contribute other than just making a basket. Because there's going to be other people in different situations or circumstances of the game or philosophies of how you'll strategically run your offense that just don't require you at that moment to make a basket. And if that's the only thing that you find value in is that you get to shoot or you get the opportunity to make a basket or better yet, have an opportunity to have a field goal situation, you get to shoot a field goal. You're going to be in for a long ride, probably not be that successful, probably not re reach as much reward that you would like to see. And I just really want the athlete to understand that there are, when I talk to college coaches, there are so many other things that they value other than what you can, other than how you can score. Is it, I'm, I'm telling you. Is it's probably one of the last things that they talk about. They they want to know that you have the ability to score, that you have the potential to be a better shooter or 
to attack the rim or to create, um, then, then they want to know that you can actually shoot a basketball because anybody can shoot a basketball. Anybody can take a basketball and cast it up or try to go to the basket and make a layup or whatever. But it's those that see their value offensively more than just a shot attempt. Um, I think that college coaches value a lot more. Defensively, uh, as you would have seen, in, as you saw in the mentions, a lot of people talking about your ability to coach defense. What are uh, your non-negotiables or things you just – automatics or things you guarantee from your kids? You know, I think some non-negotiables for me, and I, I really appreciate just in the mentions of what, you know, how people feel about me as a, a, a basketball coach um, and especially defensively as a basketball coach. Um, I really value defense a lot. And the reason why I like it so much and I enjoy it because I, um, I think it's just, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a reward that not many people talk about, you know, to, to get a stop. Um, and on my teams, we call it to get a kill. Um, and, 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 and sometimes people don't value it as much as it should be, but I think that it gives so many more opportunities within the game of basketball and the competition. Like if you want more opportunities or like when we spoke about offense, if you want more, more opportunities offensively, get more stops. You know, I, I think that every basketball team or every basketball game, there's usually somewhere every team gets about 50 to 55 possessions in a game. Somewhere around that line. I always go by that just hypothetically in my mind. And I always tell my team, if we want to score 75 a game, we need about 65 to 70 possessions, which means that we need to take 15 to 20 possessions from the other team. We need to get stops, you know, so that we have other opportunities to score so that we can successfully win, but also to take care of your individual appetite as a scorer. We need to get more opportunities to give you more value or an opportunity to put it in the basket on the other end defensively philosophies and keys that I have, you know, no brainers. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We must take pride in our individual and team performance defensively. You have to be prideful in your individual and team performance on defense. There's that non-negotiable. Um, you must engage yourself in competitive, positive energy. Like you must be competitive and positive on the defensive end. You, you must want to compete. Like, you, you don't want to give up that space, that opportunity, that situation. And you must do it with positive energy. Because if it becomes negative on the defensive side, you will have weaknesses amongst your team on the floor. Because, and it's not just because only their defense is just because of the other team is good too. They're pretty good. So, so you're going to have to engage each other positively and understand that, you know, um, we got, we're, we're going to get another chance at it, but, it, but you got to be able to be, you got to engage yourself competitively. And the last one I would say uh, that is a non-negotiable is that we got to talk. We got to talk, talk, and more talk, and more talk. And along those lines of talking, we have to communicate with universal language. And the only universal language that I know that is defensively that I always instill in my players is, is that everything that comes out of our mouths within our strategic principles must be positive. It has to be positive. So like along those lines, like we always do this thing in practice when we do shell drill on my teams, 
where we, like if I say, I'm on your help, I'm on your help. I always engage them to say something that's positive to the teammate that they're speaking to. So like, like if I say, I'm on your help, I say their name. So that gives them a positive encouragement to like, I'm on your help, Billy. I'm on your right, Billy. Pushed up some more. I'm here. You're by yourself. You're by yourself. We're with you. We're with you. Those are positive things that are universal languages that everybody on the floor can understand. You don't, nobody, it doesn't matter what defense you teach over here at Princeton or I teach over at D1 Minnesota or they teach over at Hopkins or they teach over at Eden Perry to all the way to South St. Paul. It, if you universally speak and talk to each other defensively with positive encouragement, you, it, the, the boundaries that kids cross <laughs> that they didn't know that they had the ability to do so is ridiculous. Um, and I, and I just, I just really believe in that when we talk, you got to use that universal positive language. Some of the stuff that I really like that you've brought up is just that positive, the positive talk, like you mentioned, but I think you said earlier on the offensive end is you want to empower kids. You want to inspire them, uh, empowering kids to find the hot hand. Uh, a lot of the stuff clearly that you do is player driven, player led type stuff. You're obviously facilitating a culture that allows for player empowerment, which I think is so huge and preparing these high school kids to be successful at the next level, which if you look at um, the upcoming NBA draft and the, and the dozens of scholarship players that you've had uh, or have came through D1 Minnesota, uh, clearly it, it's, it's working with how you guys are teaching the game. Uh, and I also like something you mentioned earlier about not using fear, right? Because you're not going to have kids play comfortably and confident when, they, uh, when they're when they scared to take a shot or they don't know if Al's going to be pissed if they take a certain shot. So I think those are just huge things that I think is – great for coaches to hear because they're so important that we need to be uh, a part of the success with our kids. We can't be the bearer of all information and like we're micromanaging every shot. I just think some, a couple, just a couple big things that you mentioned um, from your coaching side that I really appreciate. And I think a lot of coaches can learn from, uh, I do want to wrap up here with a few AAU related stuff. Uh, so big thing, how, um, how do you feel that, um, you can, or AAU coaches and high school coaches, how can that relationship be more positive or maybe not as much be more positive, but be more productive. That's probably a better way of phrasing that. I know you've been on Twitter the last couple of days talking, having some productive okay. conversations with people about that. So I would just give you a chance to, how do you think that relationship, not that it's a, it's a bad, cause I think unfortunately there are some coaches and people in the basketball world that don't have the most positive look at AAU. Like we're messaging. I'm a huge AAU fan. If it's my guys who are more playing on heat teams or comets teams or guys that are playing in the shoot with, with sizzle or with D one or with pulley, I'm just a huge proponent. There's a reason why we have went from maybe a couple division one basketball players in Minnesota every year to, you know, this junior class to be, is going to have dozen, you know, 10, 15, 25, maybe 30 division one players. And so uh, what are some ways that you think AAU coaches and high school coaches can work a little bit more productively together? You know, I, I think the first, the first component is, is I think that there is uh we, you know, I, I, first of all, I want to say that AAU coaches and high school coaches have come a long way since I've been um, coaching on the club side of basketball. I've coached on obviously both sides of the spectrum. So I can, I've seen both sides and, some of the, the wants and needs and the, the pros and cons that people or complaints or whatever points that both sides have had. And uh, <clears throat> it's given me a, an opportunity to be very well-rounded in how I respond to both AAU coaches and 
high school coaches when they talk about this particular topic. Um, the first thing I'd like to say is, is that we need to get into the, 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 the mindset that we need each other. You know, a lot of people talk about Minnesota sports and where we've come, but the truth of the matter is, is that Minnesota basketball is a very, very small market. Even in the surrounding communities that we have around us in states that we can pull for from players and associate ourselves with, with the states that surround us just within our region, we have a very small market. I mean, when you talk about the Dakotas, some of the West End of Wisconsin, Iowa, different situations like that, and I'm just speaking of the AAU world, our market is extremely small as far as when we associate ourselves or put ourselves in comparisons to the West End or the South End or the East End of the country when it comes to basketball communities or world or successes and different things like that. So where we've, where we've come from and how we've evolved in basketball is because of each other. It's not because of high school basketball or club basketball or some would say AAU basketball. It's because of each other. It's because of <clears throat> high school basketball being the foundation of where kids not only just get sports and athletics, but they get the academic side that we have no control over of in club sports. They, they have an opportunity to nurture and be around these kids and athletes a lot more than we ever get to. However, if we work together as extensions to each other, that student athlete will get way more success athletically than they've ever gotten before, even in a small market. And I, I truly believe that because if you look at not only how we've evolved with the opportunities with shoe circuits and different things like that, media outlets, um, exposure circumstances with the different networks and different things of that nature, it's because we've come together. It's, it's because we, we, we use each other. Um, and let's just be honest, like, you know, I, I, I'm a very, I'm very, you know, open with the fact that high school basketball is the foundation of sports in our state. However, I do wish that other high school coaches would, would, I don't know, admit or whatever you want to call it, that a lot of the kids in our state would not be getting exposure basketball-wise if they did not play on these club teams and travel the country and play in these events where they could be exposed to other national outlets. And I'm not just talking about, like, Duke and all this other type of stuff. I'm talking about, like, smaller parochial schools and academic opportunities on the East Coast. They wouldn't have got those by playing at a high school. And the truth of the matter is, is when fall basketball comes around, if this was a normal situation outside of the pandemic, <laughs> you know what I mean? We would, right. have, we would have open gyms. We would have fall sports. And when you're at Princeton High School as the head coach of their organization and the University of Maine or Siena University walks into your school, it wasn't because of you. It wasn't because of... It wasn't because of the exposure that you allowed to your athlete. It was because they played on some club team and some program that took them maybe on the East Coast region or into the South region to a tournament that was possibly played in Las Vegas. And they were seen by a program that they were talented enough in that opportunity to show their skill set 
and allow them to follow them interest uh, with their interests back to your high school. And if we don't understand that or if we can't get that together, then um, there's, that's where the problem is. That's where the division is. And I think that sometimes we get so much, we, you know, I hear this all the time and I speak to a lot of coaches about this. We get caught so much up into, you know, who did what? Like, we're so egotistic about like, like, or, or hurt, <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that the player is, is, is happy about something else. It's, you know, and, and so, you know, I would say the things that we need to work on is like, be different, you know, be different. Like, don't, don't be the high school coach or the club coach that, that just goes with, what everybody else is doing. I would say, you know, accept the evolution of new ideas, new ways, changes, the operation of our basketball communities, you know, work together to nurture the student athlete. I would say, you know, um, if we, if, if high school coaches, and this is just a, a perspective that I have, and I'll, and I'll say it from the club side first, if the club side really believes in what, that high school coaches and what they do, they would invest themselves into their programs. And now obviously they have to be allowed to do that, right? And it's so much fear and so much worry about what is mine or somebody taking something from me or worrying about somebody transferring and all these other different types of nuances is that like if <clears throat> to allow, a, allow an AAU coach into your practice, so that they can see how you operate your practices and different things so that when they have players or if they, you, you see an AAU coach in the crowd watching a game and you find out that they're invested in recruiting one of the players that you coach, why not invite them to a practice so that they can see some of the things that you or invite them to a meeting so that you can talk to them about, you know, some of your better players or some of the players that you coach in your roster and what you would like to see them improve on when they come back to your high school program. Because I believe that there's a lot of coaches, especially in the AAU world that I talk to on a daily basis, that they're inspired to help you. They want the player to get better. They want them to do this. And as a high school coach, if you really believe in the development of a player, what other option does the athlete have then to play club basketball or to go to a training situation by a development skill trainer. They don't have any other choice. Your, your time has passed. The high school season is over. They have, if they're a committed basketball player, they now have for March about five or six months to develop themselves before they start a new season. Where do they get that from? They're going to get that from summer basketball. And in summer basketball is a different commodity a different component of their development. It's a different way of playing, a different style of play. And so how is that a bad thing in their development when they learn these different types of things? What it is is that when they get back, we have to be, again, like I said, open to allow them the things that they've learned in summer basketball, whether it be training or competitively, into your world of practice in the way that they've developed. Like, Let's say, for example, you have a kid in high school basketball that plays in a rural town or a rural community, 
in your high school, you may force them or they may be forced strategically in the way that you play to play as a post because they're 6'4", and that's the biggest kid that you have. Well, on their club team, now they have two, three, six, nine kids. Now they have the ability to play on the perimeter, okay? That's making them a well-rounded athlete. That you, so the, the new things that they've learned or the, strate the strategic things or skill development that they learned is sometimes when you come to a game, they may look raw or not as successful in that new position that they've been allowed to, 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 to play in because of the makeup of their team. However, it'll make your high school team much better if you allow them some of that development on your team. Now they can't do everything. Like obviously you need them to rebound or accept the role that they have on your team as the post or the primary post presence on their team or paint person or however you run your offense or defense. However, they do, they may have new skills. As a teacher, you know, I, we, we set a goal for what we want our kids to achieve in that class period or that unit or whatever the case may be. And as coaches, it's gotta be the same thing. At the end of the day, it should be about the kids. If you're not in it for the kids, you're not in it for the athletes first, you're in it for the wrong reasons. And I think you're right. I think there needs to be, um, you know, I think where people get in trouble is they want the, I developed this kid or I, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't, it shouldn't matter who gets the credit. It's more about, did this kid get to where they want to be? Did this kid or did this kid become the player that they wanted to be? And I think that's the, that has to be the core of coaching. If it's at the AAU club level, or if it's at the, if it's at the high school level, a um, couple, a uh, couple smaller questions here, coach. I really appreciate your time. A lot of wealth of information, sure. really different perspective coming from, not different, but um, a change up from the uh, high school coach that we've had hearing from a, a coach in the, in the AAU world. Uh, Cause there's, there's a lot that AAU coach I think can learn from high school and high school coaches from AAU. I think it needs to, like you said, work together, have a plan for the kids. Um, so your name was thrown around a little bit. I don't know how serious it was with the U of M when there was an assistant <laughs> job. I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to um, support or deny those rumors. Just do you have interest in coaching at the next level? I do. I, I do have an interest in coaching at the next level. Um, I, I would, uh, it is a dream of mine, a goal of mine, a desire of mine. Uh, it's something that I continuously work towards um, coaching at the next level, at the collegiate level. Um, and I consistently pursue it. Um, and now, and, uh, and it will continue until it exhausts itself as a desire of mine to coach at the collegiate level. Did you, I mean, were there, I'll, I'll push a little bit. Was there any truth to those rumors or did never get to that point? Truth to the rumors of me coaching at the university of Minnesota. Yeah. With your name kind of being tossed around this spring. I think that, I think that there, there was some truth to it. I think that um, it developed and manifested uh, because of the, the basketball community outcry and the conversations that manifested from the, 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 you know, the, the article that came out that was kind of like, kind of caught me off guard. Yeah. Um, I think that, um, I think that in the time that the Gophers are in, um, I think that as well as any other coach would do as well, not just Patino, but everybody, if you could find somebody that can really help your program to be successful, uh, that brings positive energy and, and, and reward to your program, why wouldn't you look into it? And uh, it definitely was something that was looked into, uh, talked about. I had many conversations with Coach Patino um, throughout the process of him uh, hiring a new coach. And, um, you know, I think that at the end of the day, um, 
I think he did what's best for his program. I think that, you know, his staff is, uh, uh, is complete and a, and, a, and a very good staff. And it would be interesting to see what they do uh, with the new guys that they have as well as the, the staff that they have. I mean, you, you're hitting all the boxes with, you know, with the stuff you're talking about, the relationship pieces, the X's and O's philosophy. So definitely uh, I've been impressed with what you've had to say. I know you'd be successful at that level, maybe not if, but more when that opportunity comes. Last question, a couple of D1 guys here, potential first round picks, uh, Zeke Nanji and Tyro Terry here in the upcoming draft. How busy are you and all the other D1 Minnesota coaches right now as they kind of go through the, the vetting process of the combine and uh, the prospects of, or not the prospects of, but when they're drafted? You know, I, I think that, you know, first I want to say that, you know, it's an exceptional opportunity and experience for those individuals to have to have achieved uh, dreams, man. Dreams. Those are dreams that these young men have probably pursued all of their life since the day that they touched the basketball. And this is remarkable and a blessing uh, for them to be in the position that they're in right now. Um, I want to say, you know, I don't know that they'll be drafted. Uh, God willing that they'll be drafted or just have an opportunity to pursue their dreams of playing at the next level of professionally and wherever that may be, um, because it takes a lot. Um, and I think more importantly, uh, if and when that they actually receive that reward, it's more about uh, them not just getting a taste or a cup of coffee in the NBA or professionally, uh, the opportunity to stay. The longevity, the longevity of being uh, a professional uh, for a significant amount of time is the most important because at the end of the day, they're trying to create um, some livelihood for their future um, individually and their families. So I think that, you know, that's a blessing. That's great for them. I think in our program, I can speak for myself and some others as well. I think that we're doing all that we can to be in assistance uh, to their circumstances you know, giving information, providing uh, character, you know, um, situations, conversing with not only their families, um, executives, GMs, agents, whomever that call us to speak with us about our experience of relationship, not only with them professionally, but also personally as individuals and do our due diligence by them um, and our loyalty uh, to them as athletes and their families. Um, you know, I think that that's the most important piece that we do, we're doing at D1 Minnesota with these individual athletes that are before an opportunity of a lifetime is that, we, you know, we're just trying to be a positive extension, you know, um, tell our stories, give our genuine beliefs about them as people um, as, and as players and um, give them and their families uh, the best support uh, that we could ever give, um, you know, any, individ any individual athlete, whether it be now and in the future of the program as well. Um, I think that, that, that that's, that's probably our main responsibility. Coach, thanks for taking time today. Really appreciate it. Tons of information there. Uh, like I said, uh, you, you, you guys know what you're doing. You guys have done a great job developing um, our players, our players in the state. Uh, so I, again, I appreciate everything that you've done for the game. Yeah, I appreciate your time. I appreciate all those that may listen and take in. And, uh, you know, I'm open to uh, doing this again some other time. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity, man. It was a, it was a blast. Awesome. Thank you.